turn in your Bibles to the letter to the Laodiceans. Maybe some of, some of you will know exactly where that is. I hope our biblical studies professors do, but for those of us like me, turn to the book of Colossians. Now, the book was written... The book was written to the church at Colossae. However, one small verse at the end says, Oh, by the way, when you're done, give this book to your neighbors in Laodicea. Colossae and Laodicea were right next to one another, and, uh, and they were right on the Aegean Sea. So if you know your geography, uh, unlike me, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But this letter is a very interesting letter to me. Paul is writing to a group of believers that he himself had never met. And, and you, you say, well, Joe, Paul traveled all over Asia Minor. Paul traveled all the way to Spain on some accounts. How did he not see Colossae? I mean, they're literally, they're just a skip, hop, and a jump from Galatia. But never once did Paul set foot in Colossae and see the church form. Now, maybe at some point in his missionary journeys, he was able to visit them. But at this point, when Paul wrote the letter, he had not yet met them. And that's why the letter is so interesting to me. Because Paul, having not known these believers, still wrote to them as if they were dear brothers and sisters. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I come to my own household of faith and I know my people, I see them and I love them. I'm so thankful to have them in my life. And, and I see them and, and I say, you know what, I pray for you. I just, I want to see the best for you. But then I meet a believer from another town or from another city, and my first thought is guarded. And, and I step back and I think, well, maybe they're not believers like me. Maybe they believe in some things that I don't believe in. Oh, man, do they raise their hands in church? I'm okay with that, but oh, man, they're just a little too wild for me. Oh, they baptize babies? Man, they can't be saved. Oh, man, they're on 251 Club, but like the church name just doesn't strike me as a Christian church. And Paul got testimony from a guy named Epaphras who had watched this church form. And Epaphras came to Paul and said, Paul, they love Jesus. They have believed the same gospel that you preach. They have believed the gospel that was delivered to us, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose again according to the Scriptures. They are Christians. Paul didn't say, well, I better go check this out because I have all authority as to who's a Christian among the Gentiles. Paul didn't say, i got to go read their statement of faith. i got to make sure I understand every bit of their doctrine. Uh, you know, I should probably write them a letter and just realize, you know, all the heresies that are going around, I should address all those in a letter uh, just comprehensively. And then when they respond to that, I'll determine that they're Christians. You see, I think it's interesting because Paul, as soon as he hears someone believes in the gospel, counts them as dear brother. And for us, when we know that someone believes that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again according to the Scriptures, we say, dear brother, dear sister, you, just like me, have been conveyed out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And every difference we have will, will soon pass away in eternity. But until that day, I can at the very least pray for you. 
I can give you the right hand of fellowship in those things that are most important. And so Paul begins to write this letter. In chapter 1, he says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God and truth. Christian, just hang on a second. Any BC student, hang on a second. We talk about 251 Club. We just talked about seven people coming to know Jesus Christ. Do you not realize what Paul said in that chapter is true even here? That the gospel continues to bear fruit even among us? Guys, they, don't believe, they didn't believe anything different than we did about Jesus. Maybe it was in a different context. Maybe it was even in a different culture. But they still believe Jesus Christ is the only sufficient Savior. We're just like them. And when you read your Bible, and when, when someone tells you, well, man, they, they were different from us. They had different customs. Yeah, they're right. But listen, the gospel message and the message of Scripture is timeless to you and me so that what we believe is the very same thing that the saints themselves in the first century church believed. We stand on the Word of God. That's why we can say that. So don't deny the fact that you have the same gospel that bears fruit to this day, 2,000 years, that this gospel of Jesus Christ has borne fruit in every nation and country and ethnicity and culture upon which it has set its aim. Jesus Christ goes beyond culture. He goes beyond context and He saves souls. He saves people. Paul was excited about this fact, as you can tell, I am. He says, this gospel, as you also learned, uh, the gospel of grace of God and truth, as you also learned from Epaphras, who seems to be the initiator of the gospel message in this community, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long suffering, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things consist, and He is the head of the body, He is the head of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. Father, take Your Word and apply it to our hearts. Lord, I pray 
that Jesus Christ would have the preeminence in our lives. Lord, that knowing Jesus through the power of His resurrection, that knowing His teachings, and that following Him in obedience would yield in us a fruit so sweet to the world around us, a fruit that shows the world around us that Jesus Christ is first above all things in our lives. Father, would every aspect of our obedience be characterized that Christ is first. Father, as we share the gospel, as we preach, as we pray, would Jesus Christ have the preeminence in our lives? Because Lord, we know He has it. But God, would we live as if He does? It's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Now, I want to I catch you up on what God's doing in my life, frankly. It's been a very interesting season of just learning about prayer. And I can tell you, I have sat through prayer sermon after prayer sermon after prayer sermon after prayer conference after prayer study group after prayer sermon again. And every time I'm like, I am going to sit down and apply that. I'm, I'm going to set my alarm clock for 6.30 every morning. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to pray for 30 minutes. I'm going to read my Bible for 30 minutes. And I'm going to walk out the door and I am going to be powerful in prayer. Man, prayer is the most important thing we have as Christians. Prayer is the power behind everything we do. Man, I'm going to walk in that. 6.30 the next morning comes, ah, snooze. I'll pray for 15 minutes. Snooze. Okay, I'll just read the Bible this morning. Snooze. I got to get some coffee and get to work. Maybe, maybe I, I have a, a feeling that that's kind of similar to many of us. And, and I'm not deceived, neither are you, that you're in a Christian college right now. And one of the most frequent things off the lips of Christian students is, I'm praying for you. Now, sometimes it's the bless your heart kindness. <laughs> kindness. And other times it's, I don't know what to say to this person. I'm praying for you. I'm trying to end the conversation and get out of here. And other times it's genuine where you say, I'm praying for you. And in that moment, everything about you is sincere that I'm going to pray for this person. I'm genuinely going to intercede on behalf of them before God. You see, through Scripture, through the New Testament specifically, we see several forms of prayer. We see the prayers of adoration where Paul just breaks out to talking about the preeminence of Christ. And then we see, we see prayers of confession where John tells us to confess our sins before God and He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And these are, we, we often model prayer, prayer meetings, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And we see these prayers of thanksgiving where we give thanks to God for what He's doing and what He's done and how He's saved us and how He's saving other people and how we're seeing the fruit of the gospel come forward all over the world. And then we bring our supplications and our supplications go something like this. God... Such and such is, is in pain right now. Would you take their pain away? Take them out of the nursing home. Take them out of the hospital. Bring them back to us. Uh, and, and Lord, just, you know, that's, that'll be good enough. Heal them. God, I'm going through a rough time right now. Can you help me make it through it? Can you take me out of it? That's what I'd prefer. But Paul offers a different form of supplication here. Paul offers a different form of prayer that, that really has changed my understanding of how I pray, and I hope it does the same for you, because this is the kind of prayer that when I say I'm praying for you, this is what I mean, and this is what I hope you would mean to your fellow believers. 
You see, we've already covered the fact that Paul acknowledges that these believers in Colossae are indeed heir to the same gospel, heir to the same hope. But then he says, for this reason, because of Jesus Christ, which he gets to in the end, because of this shared hope, this shared faith, we don't cease to pray for you. Man, Paul had a lot of time for prayer, didn't he? I'll tell you what, I just, I don't know how Paul prayed all that he did. Other than what he says about praying in the Spirit and praying without ceasing, that's the only way that makes it possible is if it's a Spirit-led endeavor in the heart of the believer. But Paul had a plan. And my encouragement to you is something that I heard in my first year, and I, I believe that this is very, very helpful. It's not the gospel truth. It's not even necessarily straight from the Bible, but I believe it rings true. Is if you don't have a prayer list, you won't have a prayer life. Said by J. Gordon Henry, who spoke one of those wonderful prayer conferences that made me want to change my life, and I never did. But if you don't have a prayer list, you don't have a prayer life. And Paul's prayer list was not something motivated by a, I have to check this off, I have to get this done. If I want to be a good Christian, I've got to have this, 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 this prayer time. Bible time, all that. Paul's motivation is very clear in this passage. He loves other believers. He, knowing the same Jesus they did, found them as kindred spirits and cared about them as if they were his very own flesh and blood. You talk to parents who have children, and and I've not heard it from many Christian parents any other way, but man, my kids increase my prayer life. I know in high school, President Ballard talks about the liberty thing. My father was praying hard for me. And I believe in part that's why his dreams were shattered and I didn't end up going to liberty. (laughs) Sometimes you pray against yourself without realizing it. But Paul loves the church at Colossae. And in the latter half of the letter, actually, as we get to chapter 2, Paul goes into a long doctrinal exposition talking about how to flee from the various, uh, various diversions and heresies and consequences of unbelief that surround the culture of Colossae and Laodicea. But before he does that, and Christian, I want you to listen to me very clearly. Before he corrects, he prays. I know, you're at Bible college. You have all the answers. I was there too. And my first impulse, if someone said something even slightly off, I mean like like just slightly off from what I believed, hey, the Bible says this, and just slap them over the head with the Bible. You know what you do is you lose a friend, and you also lose any opportunity for good correction. Paul did not immediately go after everything that was wrong in Colossae because they were a church of human beings. There was stuff wrong there. Some some theologians, some some scholars say there was a Colossian heresy, but they've yet to identify what it was. So I'm just going to say something was wrong because they were people. But Paul didn't immediately start his letter, Colossae, here's what you need to do to have everything in the right order. Before he even sat down and wrote the letter, he began praying at the account of Epaphras, that these were believers, he said, I will pray for them because they are my own. They are my family. 
And Christian, I would encourage you, before you correct, realize the power of your correction will never be in your ability to speak. The power of your correction, rebuke, exhortation, whatever it may be, will only come from the Spirit of God preceding that work in your life through the power of prayer and in their life through His working and softening of their heart. You find a believer that's out of step with God, I encourage you start praying and ask God when the right time to speak to them is. Because rarely is a reaction better than a response. You see, as we watch things go about in our world, as we watch things go about in the church, and we acknowledge that there are people that are brothers and sisters of us, I want to encourage you to take Paul's template of prayer. And Paul's template of prayer starts in verse, uh, verse 9. It says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The first thing Paul prays for, and because I'm a good Baptist, I just got to tell you this, it's all going to be alliterated. The first thing Paul prays for is the believer's wisdom. Christian, let me tell you, if you ever tell me you're praying for me, my first desire is that when you start to pray, you say, God, give Joe wisdom beyond anything he's ever had. God, give Joe wisdom to understand his situation, to understand what your word has to say about what he's doing. When I pray for an unbeliever, when I pray for for someone that's walked away from the faith, God, by the power of your word, would you give them understanding as to your will for their life and give them wisdom as how to walk in your will? Could you imagine being the church at Colossae? The Apostle Paul, whose fame runs far ahead of him everywhere he goes, he writes a letter to you, and the first thing he says to you is, I'm praying for you. I don't cease to pray for you. I think about you, and I long for you. And here's my prayer for you, that I pray, or I pray that you would be wise. Christian, there is far, far fewer things in this life that we should aspire to than the wisdom of God and His will. I tell you this, we have a lot of Christians running around with a whole lot of knowledge and very little wisdom. A whole lot of know-how and very little actually applied skill. We need wisdom. And so, so as you pray for another believer, pray for their wisdom. Pray that God in His power would go before whatever work that you're going to do, whatever thing that you're going to say to them, and give them wisdom to know God's will. Because guess what? Here, here's the crazy thing. We as Christians talk about wanting to see God move in a big way. And then we try and move for Him. But if I'm praying that God would prepare the road, that God would prepare the heart, that God would work in the life of the person that I'm praying for... What if he does that and I never even have to talk to him? What shows the power of God more? That he took care of his own. That he did what he said he could do all throughout his word. You see, when we pray, we should pray for one another's wisdom. We can pray for one another's wisdom. And then the correction and rebuke that we may have to take may not have to happen. And that is just good for all of us. That's really good for friendships. Now, I'll just, I'll clarify this. I had a friend in high school, saw me walking away from the Lord, prayed about it, sent me a letter, made me so angry. Like he just, he called me out and I knew everything he said was right. The spirit had already been working. Walked away from that friend for a bit. 
reunited. And then just last week, him and I were talking. We don't get to talk much anymore. But I said to him, I said, dude, I got to let you know, you made me so angry in a moment. But I know that you were praying for me. And I know that God led you to send that letter because it pushed me over the edge to see the problem that I had. And that's the only reason I stand where I am today. Because had I continued on the road that I was on, Joe would have never, ever surrendered to a call to ministry. I probably would have been dead, frankly. But because he was praying, and his prayers led to an action that sometimes our prayers will, God moved, and God changed my life. God called me out of my sin and into his ministry. You see, when we pray for our friends to have wisdom, we pray that they would know God's Word. And Christian, there is no greater thing for you than to know God's Word. Because if you want to know God's will, you've got to know His Word. I know, you just, you're praying. I find so many Christians praying for God's will to appear to them just like Satanists use a Ouija board. God, would you guide my hand to, to where I need to go? Man, <laughs> He's already told you, at the very least, Matthew 28, 19 and, th- 19 and 20. And I'm the evangelism professor, so I have to point this one out. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's will enough for me to know at least some of my marching orders. But we ask for God's specific will, and we forget sometimes that we need His word. And so when you're praying for your brother and sister, when you're praying for that person in your life that seems to be walking so far from God, pray that God would give them wisdom according to His Word, that He would give them spiritual understanding. Just think about spiritual understanding. Man, that's a sweet couplet of phrases that, man, if I had spiritual understanding, where's that coming from? I'll tell you where it's coming from. That's coming from the Holy Spirit giving me understanding. That's what I want, and that's what I want for you. Because we're at NEBC, We are a team, whether we like it or not. We are brothers and sisters going to different churches and accountable to different local bodies. But nonetheless, we work together for the ends of seeing the gospel given to those who need it. There's going to be tension. There's going to be disagreements. But my friend, pray for your fellow believers. Don't attack them. Don't take them down. Don't talk about them behind their back. Pray that God would give them and yourself spiritual understanding and wisdom so that the issues never have to be addressed because the Spirit of God has already taken care of them. Man, wouldn't that make church so much more fun? If, uh, Pastor Mark and, and Tyler and I, we, we pastor Open Bible Baptist Church, and, and there are issues once in a while. Our church is perfect, so I, I should say there are issues in us once in a while. And it would be so nice. So nice if we never had to address an issue with someone. But that's not the way people are. We let our flesh get ahead of ourselves, and we don't abide in the Spirit, and we don't pray for the wisdom and the will of God to prevail in people's lives. But when we do, those issues seem to fade away. They take care of themselves. Pray for their wisdom. When you say, I'm praying for someone, 
pray for their wisdom. But when you say you're praying for someone, there's more that Paul prays for. There's more that we see is important to a Christian. As one grows wise in their spiritual understanding, as one begins to understand the will of God and the word of God in their life, Paul says, I'm going to pray for your walk. Because to know and to have wisdom moves one to action. And so when he begins praying for their walk, here's his prayer for their walk. And man, oh man, alive, if the Apostle Paul had been praying this for me, I would be so excited I'd charge hell with a water pistol. It says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Listen, when you pray for a believer, you pray for their wisdom, but pray for their walk. Pray that God would keep them close, that they would be worthy of the calling with which they were called, and that they would be pleasing to God in everything that they do and say. Oh, I ought to be pleasing to God in everything I do and say. That would just be a joyous experience. To know that I walk away with, from something without any guilt, with total innocence saying, I was surrendered to the Spirit of God in that moment. What I said, even though it came across harsh, or what I said, even though it didn't seem to be, be taken well, that God was pleased with it. When you pray for another believer, pray for their walk. Pray that they would walk close with God. But how does the walking close with God work? The walking close with God has to do with the knowledge of God, and the knowledge of God once again goes back to the Word of God. You see, when you're praying for another believer, you're praying for their wisdom and you're praying for their walk, that their walk would be closely identified with the Word of God itself. Closely identified with that which God has given us for all faith and practice. Guys, can you not tell that the Word is important to prayer? I, I, I mean, I, I'm loving it and, and I'm seeing it happen, but there are books being written left and right. Praying the Scriptures. And, and some of the times it's really good, and other times they're just taking a book, writing it down, writing a psalm at the beginning, and then praying something entirely different than what the psalm is getting at. But when you open your Bible, when you're reading the Word of God, and you begin to think of that believer that crosses your mind, and you're reading Colossians 1, 9-14, God, this is not some apostles-only prayer. God, this is a prayer I can pray. This is something that I can hope for in someone's life. God, would you do this in their life? Would you help them to have wisdom and spiritual understanding beyond anything they've ever known? God, would you help their walk to be close with you so that as the world around them sees them, they realize their aim is to be fully pleasing to God and God alone? Christian, you pray that for your brothers and sisters here that you're having a problem with? Man, God's going to take care of it. You're sitting there, that's a big promise. No, it's not. It's the Word of God. Don't confuse the Word of God with big, unexpected promises. Because all the promises in here are yes and amen. Pray for their wisdom. Pray for their walk. Pray that the knowledge of God of your fellow believer possesses and moves them to genuine fruitfulness in all that they do. And then as they are wise in their spiritual understanding and as they are walking with God, we begin to pray for their work. I have many friends that know what I'm doing. Friends that I grew up with that are now uh, surrendered to ministry in Hungary, surrendered to ministry, uh, excuse me, Hungary, <laughs> surrendered to ministry in, in uh, Central America, 
that are doing uh, physical therapy in Pennsylvania. I have friends all over the place that watched me grow up, that prayed for me, and that I prayed for them as we grew up together. And they know what I'm doing. And one of my favorite things to hear them praying for is say, I'm praying for your work at Northeastern Baptist College. I'm praying that God would provide for that college to continue to train students. And I love it when they watch it and they see, man, God is doing something there. I tell one of them, hey, the students led five people to Christ in the past five weeks. And that's amazing because they grew up here. They know how different it is here. And they say, I'm going to keep praying for what God's doing there because I can see Him working. I'm going to keep supporting what God is doing there because I can see Him working. Paul says that he's praying for the walk of these or the, the work of these believers because he wants them. He says to be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering in joy with joy. Now now this one's interesting. I praying for strength makes sense. But then Paul talks about patience and long suffering and if you're like me you first read it and you said patience and patience what's he talking about? God wants us to, Paul wants the believers and God wants us to be strengthened for the work he's called us to. We need the strength of God to do the work he's called us to, right? It's not like, not our own strength. This is the strength of God. Mind you, all these things flow from Christ in Paul's letter right now, as we see it. But he says, I'm praying for your patience and I'm praying for your long suffering. And, and there's a difference in the words here. There's a difference in the connotation of what patience means and long suffering means. Now, yes, they're both similar. But patience has to do with dealing with the trials of life. So these can be circumstantial trials. Paul is praying that the believers would be strengthened and that through that strengthening, they would be patient in the midst of trials. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? To patiently wait for the hope that will redeem us. To patiently wait for the Savior that is coming back for us. To patiently wait and push forward in the strength of God in the midst of hard circumstances. Paul's prayer, my prayer, our prayer for one another should be, God, strengthen them according to your will, according to your word, according to your spirit, that the trials that they will face will be characterized by patience. That when something hard comes in their way, that when something comes to hinder them, that they would continue to press forward with the strength of God supporting them. And then for long-suffering, And I think long-suffering is so much more applicable to me. But long-suffering has to do with the way you deal with people. Paul knows the church at Colossae has come together as a church, and, and until this time period, there were not many things that looked like a church. Sure, there were clubs. Sure, there were associations. Sure, there were uh, rotaries, whatever you want to call them. But these people came together. The church comes together as a covenant group accountable one to another to obey and abide by the Word of God. And Paul says, may your fellowship be characterized by long-suffering, bearing with one another, as Paul would say later in Galatians, in love. Long-suffering, being able to deal with the scruples of the weak, being able to deal with the bravado of the prideful and saying, I'm going to walk with them by God's strength. I'm going to live with them and love them. And then the last thing he says about this prayer for their work is that it be characterized with joy. I know a lot of Christians come to the Northeast 
going to be pastors, going to be church planners, going to be Sunday school teachers, just going to come up here and, and make an impact for God. And they, they start doing the ministry, and, and a year in, i got to take a vacation. i got to get out of here. Why you got to get out of here? Because I'm just not happy. I'm, I'm not joyful. i got to go somewhere and take a break. We, we have this false sense, and, and I, I'm, I know what I'm saying. I'm saying this intentionally. We have this false sense that we have to get away and recharge our joy and come back to the ministry field. Christian, that can't be further from the truth that Paul is getting at here. Our joy is sustained by the Spirit of God, not a vacation to Cabo. Our joy is sustained by the Spirit of God, and that's a fruit of His in me. So when you feel like you got to flee the ministry to find joy, friend, you don't have patience or long-suffering to couple that, and you are definitely not walking in the strength of God. So the first thing you need to do is hit your knees and say, God, strengthen me. Give me joy in the midst of my trials, in the midst of hard people. Because, friend, even if you come back from that trip and you feel good, I'll give you two weeks before that expires. It doesn't work that way. God is not just a sustainer on the vacation. God is a sustainer all the way through. I'm not saying anything's wrong with the vacation. Don't hear me saying that. I'm saying don't find your joy in the rest. Find your joy in Christ. Find your joy in His work in your life. And then the work of your ministry, the whatever that is, because you all have a ministry, that will be characterized by the joy of Christ that is in you, that is preeminent among you. He prayed for their wisdom. He prayed for their walk. And He prayed for their work. And then finally, He thanks God and He prays for their witness. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. He goes from saying, I'm praying for you, to thankful for us. To, to, the, to the believers that Paul has yet to meet, he stops calling them yous, and he starts saying us. He has qualified us as partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He identifies this church at Colossae and the church at Laodicea, and he identifies you and me as us. We receive the same promises, the same power, and the same things that He received. We receive all that we see in the book of Acts is given to us. All the hope that's seen in the gospel is given to us. He says, I'm thankful that we're not the only ones, that you're part of us now. To be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Delivered. Taken from where it once was to a place that it can stay. We are delivered from the power of darkness. You, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, have been delivered from the power of darkness. Darkness that suppresses joy. Darkness that lets you walk in impatience and walk with no long suffering. Darkness that kept you as an alien and a stranger to God. He has taken you from there and He has put you in Christ Jesus, the kingdom of the Son of His love. That's exciting! <laughs> I want to be part of that kingdom because I used to walk around in the dark trying to find joy. I used to scrape at pebbles with, with my eyes blinded and my ears deaf trying to find things that would satisfy me and hold me up and give me joy that was never really joy. And Paul says he has made you 
partaker of the saints in the light. I've transferred from darkness. I'm now part of the saints of the light. And I walk in the kingdom of the Son of His love, a kingdom characterized by joy, characterized by love and peace. Paul walked in that kingdom. The believers at Colossae walked in that kingdom. And Christian, don't, don't deceive yourself. Sometimes you don't feel like you're walking in that kingdom. Sometimes it's hard to take on that identity. And maybe you're joyless. Maybe you're fruitless and you're joyless because you're fruitless. You're not seeing God work the way He wants you. You're not understanding and, and growing to know who God is more. Well, Paul was praying for that, and I'm praying for that. I'm praying that God would enhance your witness. Because what does it mean to be a witness? To have seen and to tell. Christian, you've seen God move in mighty ways in your very own life. You read the Word of God and you see that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. You're witness to that fact. And Paul prays, God, would they walk and look like they've been transferred from darkness into light. God, would I walk and look like I've been transferred from darkness into light? It says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son and His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. You're forgiven. You're covered. Paul knew that about Colossae. They are forgiven as forgiven can be. God looks at them and sees righteous, beloved, holy, redeemed. He sees the same in you and me. He says, God, help them to live like that. And how do we live like that? Well, we live like that by realizing who Jesus is. And Paul gets to his famous uh, explanation of the preeminence of Christ. It says he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. It is to know, to walk in the light, to walk and bear witness in truth, is to know that Jesus Christ is God Himself in the flesh, come down as the first fruit of all creatures, of all creation that will be raised. Jesus Christ stands as the head of the church, the head of this body, and He moves us and motivates us to wisdom, and to our walk, and to our work, and to our witness. And friends, when Jesus becomes that centerpiece, that preeminent aspect of a church's fellowship, of your own fellowship with your spouse, of your own fellowship with your friends, of your own life, then Paul's prayers are answered. Then my prayer for you is answered. When Jesus takes the preeminence, the wisdom grows, the walk enhances, the work goes forward, and the witness becomes bright but it must be preceded by the work of Jesus in your life. Paul could not pray this prayer for a lost person. Nor could I pray this prayer for you in entire honesty and authenticity if I knew that your standing with God was not fixed by a moment of repentance and belief in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Friend, you are a sinner beyond any deserving of God's goodness. And yet He sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sins. Jesus was buried because He actually died. And then He rose again three days later, showing that He defeated the power of sin and death over your life. 
And you may look at this passage and say, these things are all good. These things are all great. I wish I had these things in your life or in my life. But you can't have them. They are not for you until Jesus Christ becomes preeminent in your life. Until Jesus Christ takes the throne of your heart and makes it His home. And what I'm telling you today is if you don't have that settled, if your life is not characterized by joy, if your life is not characterized by a knowledge of God and who He is and what He's done and how much He loves you, then friend, you need to fall on your knees in repentance right now and say, Jesus Christ, save me. Because all who admit that they're a sinner and believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, was buried and rose again, and confess He is Lord, they will be saved. This is not one of those big hopeful promises. This is a promise that is yes and amen. You can have salvation in Jesus Christ. And if you do have salvation in Jesus Christ, friend, I say it with full confidence. I'm praying for you. And I know that God will fulfill the prayer that Paul prayed in your life if you will surrender and submit to the Spirit's leading in your life. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that we have a model for prayer. God, I pray that in our lives these things would be true. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that our wisdom would grow as we grow to understand and know you more by the power of your word and by the power of your Spirit working through us. Father, would you... Help us as we walk with You to grow closer, to never depart from the things that we know for sure from the truth of the Gospel, from the truth of Your Word. Lord, would we grow in our knowledge of You as we continue to spend our time before You in prayer and before You in Your Word. Father, would You help us as we work that we would be strengthened. Lord, that we would have patience and long-suffering to deal with our trials and to deal with our people. Lord, that we would be joyful in the midst of that. And Father, for our witness. God, we ask for revival in this nation. We ask for revival in this state. Lord, we ask for revival in this town and even in our churches. Lord, would we be witnesses to the fact that we've been conveyed out of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of your love. Lord, lead us forward by Jesus Christ in His calling alone. May He have preeminence in our hearts, in our lives, in our churches, in our families, in our friendships. God, may Jesus be the center of it all. And may He be the cause of it all. Lord, we love You and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.